Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Thank you to all of the coaches that are enrolling in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification the last few days now that the website is up and fully live. And then also a bunch of you have also just enrolled in the Surge Strength Academy and taking those Dryland 101 courses. Welcome. I'm glad that you are taking part of these Dryland resources, whether it's just the 101 courses or you're looking to become Dryland certified. I wanted to read just a quick email we got uh, from one of the coaches that's in the Surge Strength Academy, Kurt says, Chris, nice work on the course certification. Thank you to you and your staff's hard work. I'm really pleased with the content. So if you haven't already, enroll in the Academy, check out the Dryland 101 courses or enroll in the Dryland certification and see what other coaches are experiencing like Kurt. And remember, by Thursday, this Thursday, July 30th at midnight, you can still save $100 off when you enroll by using the code SSDC, the initials that you'll be able to have after your name once you pass the final exam and are Surge Strength Dryland certified. And also, Wednesday night, so uh, this is releasing Tuesday, so in uh, two days here, uh, myself and Jason, our Dryland Educational Specialist, will be hosting the Surge Strength Q&A And we're going to be talking all questions about the certification process. What does the course look like? What does it take to pass the exam and get certified? So for those of you that are still unsure on the fence, okay, is this really for me? What is this all about? Join us. This is a free Zoom call. But the only way to get an invitation is to be on our email list. We'll be sending out emails uh, today. They may have already gone out today, depending on when you're listing this on Tuesday. And then we'll send out a quick reminder on Wednesday as well. If you're not subscribed to our email list, just go to surge-strength.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom and drop in your email there and you can subscribe just like that. And then you'll be able to stay in the loop with things like that that we don't always announce on the podcast that you're only privy to if you're on the email list. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. So we've done this segment uh, a few times now. We finally have some (laughs) sound effects to go with it. But we are going to actually be taking one of the lessons from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. So you're going to be hearing it. And again, when you're in the course, you see visual too. There are downloads as well. So it's going to be a little bit more comprehensive once you're in the course. But I still wanted you all out there to get a feel, a sense for the course. So um, just so you know, there are visual parts to it. So sometimes I do reference, hey, you know, look here or there. <laughs> you could see all that when you're in the course. Don't worry about that. I don't want there to be any confusion about that. But we're going to go ahead and jump on in to this episode's Inside the Surge Strength Academy. The two goals of dry land is the topic I'm going to be covering now. Let's face it, there are lots of things that you could focus on when it comes to your dry land. And I think For many coaches, that's the problem, where it's paralysis by analysis. So many things they can work on. With surge strength, we're going to try to narrow it down to focus on just these two things. If you can keep these as goals in your dry land program, helping your swimmers become more athletic 
and helping your swimmers become stronger, you are going to have a quality dryland program. Now, those are big umbrella terms on purpose because there are lots of things that we can dive into within each of those goals. But again, for all the coaches and swimmers that I've talked to throughout the years, I really think it comes down to they get overwhelmed with all these exercises, all these different phases, all these different variables that they could do with their program. And again, where we're coming from the standpoint is there's no right or wrong way, but there are principles that you should follow. And especially based on your situation, one decision may be better for one person than in another situation based on different circumstances. But regardless, we're trying to keep it as simple as possible. So athleticism and strength, these are the two main goals for any quality dryland program. So athleticism, it's a big umbrella term. There are lots of things that can come underneath athleticism. I think especially as coaches, we all have a coach eye at some level and we could see, oh, that's a good athlete. Well, what does that really mean though? Here's just a couple things to get your brain rolling on what athleticism can contain. And again, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. There are probably more characteristics that I didn't add in here, but we're not really caring about did we have the 24th or 25th type of athleticism. So coordination, mobility, rhythm, especially important for swimming, I think, reactivity, speed, power, and yes, even strength. All those are characteristics of athleticism. You think about that. If someone was able to move really well, had amazing rhythm, but was incredibly weak, we probably wouldn't consider them an athlete. So actually, if there's one umbrella term, I would say it's athleticism. But because I believe coaches, swim coaches and swimmers overlook so much the strength aspect of dry land. And it's not just about getting tired. It's not just about working hard. It's about actually getting stronger. That's why I put it there. So it is a little bit repetitive having athleticism and strength, and I completely understand it. But I think it's so that coaches especially can keep in mind, this is what's really important. Am I getting my swimmers to be more athletic and am I increasing their strength? Strength still pretty big umbrella category. Ability to produce force is the definition of strength. And then there's also power and endurance. Those are the rate and the duration that you can keep the force going. But also there are some other characteristics that go along with strength. Resiliency, being able to bounce back, being able to not be injured. And especially for swimmers, that's a huge thing. To be able to go through an entire swimming career and not be injured, I'm not sure there are many swimmers that can say they've done that. So therefore, we need strength to help the swimmers be resilient against the very training that they're doing to try to get them to become better swimmers. There's also the capacity level. The more I've been able to increase athletes' strength over the years, I find that they're actually able to rebound faster, recoverability, the next point I'm skipping ahead here, but also their ability to just take on more work. If you get an athlete stronger overall, it's going to help their work capacity so you can throw more at them, whether that's intensity, volume, or the ability to do it more often in a given period. Strength, again, is the mother of all qualities and it helps all of these other qualities that you as a coach or as a swimmer need to develop if you want to continue to improve and be a faster swimmer and enjoy it more too. So the quick litmus test that you can always give yourself is, are you focusing on increasing both athleticism 
and strength in your athletes. If you are, you're on the right track. And even though both those terms are very big and broad, we did that on purpose. There are a lot of different angles that you can take with this, but I can identify quality dry land programs. When I'm talking to the coach, when I go and I look at the exercises that they're doing, or if a coach is talking to me about, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm approaching it. And if I can tell that athleticism and increasing strength are cornerstone concepts of the program, I know that they're headed in the right direction. So remember, all of this is to say, better athletes are always going to produce faster swimmers. And if you keep these two goals in mind in your dryland program, increasing athleticism and increasing strength, you're going to end up with faster swimmers. Dryland Talk. For this episode's Dryland Talk, I have Jason Marini join us. He just recently joined the Ritter team as our Dryland Educational Specialist. So he is actually going through the Surge Strength Dryland certification right now and is reaching out to teams to help onboard their staffs and if other coaches have questions about what it means to be Dryland certified and just all questions about the Surge Strength Dryland certification are going to Jason. So I figured, introduce you guys a little bit and then we just talk dryland all right jason welcome to the surge strength podcast man glad to have you on thank you glad to be here so i wanted to do this for a number of reasons and we're going to obviously go in many different directions in uh, this conversation but before we kind of get into it obviously we have a lot going on a lot to talk about with the surge strength dryland certification but i want to introduce you to our audience and if there are listeners that are, you know, maybe OGs from the Swim Base, Swim Coaches Base podcast way back, you've been on a few times, so you're not going to be a complete stranger to some people. Um, but I'd just like you to introduce yourself now that you're on the Ritter team as a dryland educational specialist. What the heck is that? Yeah. Um, I think when we talked to bring me on board to uh, – promote the new dryland certification, the SSDC. I'm excited. Um, I think it's long overdue. And <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you thought of it. I, I think it's, it's something we all need. Um, and strength training in dryland has been a big part of my philosophy for 20 years now. Um, I was a division three coach at four different colleges um, over 20 years and, and kind of a journeyman. And uh, so you've been in the trenches a little bit. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I've been in the trenches, man. Uh, I, I really prided myself on taking over unknown teams. Mm. It was something that just kind of happened. You know, that's where I got hired when I was 25. Um, but then I started to take a lot of pride in having my own program, you know, mm. and, um, I like being the underdog. I like the challenge. I enjoy when someone tells me that you can't do something. <laughs> um, I think there's a special reward to that, although it also sometimes is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the last few years you were at um, your last uh, college there that you actually brought your team down to Charlotte for winter training. <laughs> Yeah. So not, not as south as Florida or the Caribbean, but still south. You know, New Years where like if we didn't have numbers or funding for a trip, I'm like, well, we're not staying here. Um, <laughs> and Charlotte was actually great. We loved it. We stayed on the lake. Um, oh, that's right. The kids loved it. We, you rented like this luxury lake house, which in January 
is like 25% of the <laughs> in the summer. Kids stay in a mansion on the lake, and then uh, we got to do dryland with you. And to be honest, that was probably what's a, a big step in the dryland for my college teams was anywhere I went, I was like, well, what's the weight room situation like? What's this like? Like, I mm. think most people are like, where's the nicest beach? Right. And like, what do we have available for strength training? Um, that became a priority mm. in my choices for training trip after that. Well, and I remember too, and this kind of leads into what I think one of the things we want to talk about is, you know, what percentage should you have dryland swimming on that trip in particular, because there was only one real pool you guys had access to. You only were able to swim one day or one time a day on your training trip, which, you know, for a lot of colleges, that's like, well, that's only half the time. Or, you know, I know some teams will even do triples sometimes, you know, things like that. Yeah, we, uh, we wanted to get in the Mecklenburg Aquatic Center. It was the nicest facility in the area, and the kids loved it. I loved it. I mean, it's obviously a great um, team. Elite was training there before us, mm -hmm. so we got to meet a lot of them. That was actually a great. The one day we pulled in the parking lot at Mecklenburg, there's a Bentley parked. Oh yeah, in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and the kids are all like, the boys are all like, "Whoa, whose car is that?" And I knew <laughs> Octi must be a practice before us. Who else drives a Bentley? to swim practice um so they loved that part of it but we could only get in there once a day um so we went to you and and we did dryland with you and that was actually the first time we did that that was back in misericordia actually the first time we did a, a dryland and just a one pool session on a college training trip mm. um, we had the best championship meet we ever had and it was an accident. It was because we couldn't get more pool time. So <laughs> that also ties into uh, with what's going on with COVID now. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a coach call me two days, a couple days ago, uh, asking me for pool time at Brockport. Oh wow! I'm sorry, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> um, you could call the athletic director. Good luck. Um, but he's like, I can only get pool time three days a week for like an hour or whatever, and. My answer to those coaches is if you learn to do the right thing with dryland, you can probably still get your kids to progress, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's not a, like we're losing a year of swim season. It's obviously difficult. It's not premium, but not having an ideal situation is kind of what got me to do more dryland. Yeah. Can you go through a little bit more of your thought process of thinking, okay, we're doing going to do this training trip. You, you checked off the list that you had a weight room because you were gonna you're gonna bring the team to me, so you know no worries on that. And the gym where I was at was just right down the street actually from MCAC, so it was, you know you guys weren't traveling all around the city. But what did you think as a coach of thinking? Okay, I wanted to get more water time, but now I'm I'm stuck with this. And and how were you thinking about that? I was nervous about it. But honestly, at that point, I had already started this kind of journey of there's a lot of important things to do on land with swimmers that we neglect. Hmm. It already kind of been like, I think we'll be okay. And as the head coach, I certainly couldn't tell the team, well, our taper is going to stink <laughs> at one pool session during training trip. So this season's a failure. We'll try next year. You know what I mean? I was like, no, we're going to figure it out. We're going to have this really intense dry land, and we'll have two hours in the pool, and that's enough. I mean, the idea that with three hours of training a day, we can't improve, is that only happens in swimming. You know what I mean? Like, no one else is like, 
oh, we only have three hours of workout today. Like, what a waste. <laughs> um, so it, it really started off. So if you think about that trip, if we're training three hours a day, mm -hmm. a good hour plus was dry land. So a third of all of our training time was dry land, a third. Mm -hmm. And I think we all need to start thinking out of it. I, I'd estimate anywhere between 25% to 50% of your training should be done on land, depending on the kid and the situation. And right now, for a lot of coaches, for the next six months to a year, whatever this is, we get through this, that may be your only option. Mm -hmm. um, and don't fret. There's nothing wrong with making your kids better at squats and pull-ups. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're going to help them improve. You may find out by accident, like I did, that this is, could be the best thing for someone. Yeah, because I feel like we glossed over that, but that ended up being one of your best championship tapers there that season, right? I had a girl that was stuck at like double O fly in high school and then with me and cranked out of 57. I had a lot of those kids that were like stuck at this for a season or two and then mm. bam, you know, first time under girl, first time under a minute for a hundred back. Um, yeah, I had a breaststroker go 56, go from double O to 56 during that time. You know, it, it changed a lot. It changed a lot. Why do you think coaches are so hesitant? Do you think it's just baked into being a swim coach and thinking, you know, this is I, – I, and again, I understand as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm training swimmers to be faster in the water. I'm not under the illusion. I'm trying to, you know, take them to the Olympics in Olympic weightlifting, right? Like, I, I get that. And I think some strength coaches – that's not the issue. But what do you think it is with some coaches that are so afraid of like, man, if I don't have doubles practice, right? Like, like you said, you're, you're worried about not having more than three hours of training and somehow thinking you're not going to get better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's just the, the dogma of our sport, where that comes from. Um, another thing I've heard a lot since I've signed on with Ritter and started promoting this is like, well, I don't do lifting. I leave that for college. You know, I hear that from club coaches a lot. Um, like, like they're almost saving that for the next level. So the kid, in their mind, like the kid advances. Um, and as a college, especially a Division three college coach for 20 years, please, please don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got a very limited time with them, mm -hmm. which is compared to club coaches. I got four seasons of 19 weeks. That's it. And the rest, when they're in the summer, they're going back to their club coaches, you know, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I often think of it like, you know, in the nature videos, when like an antelope is born and there's, um, what's his name? Like there's the British accent narrator yeah. <laughs> and wobbling on its legs. That's what a freshman looks like in the weight room when they get to college. Mm -hmm. Um, you are doing them a great service and all the college coaches are nodding their head right now. If you could teach them just a basic squat form, just a goblet squat. Mm -hmm. Wait, we don't need them jacked. It, it's, I have 19 weeks and I'm spending the first three weeks teaching them how to squat with the bar to the box. Mm -hmm. and, and I have very limited time and 40 kids. And, and it is like, it's funny. We talk about, in the SSDC course about, you know, progressing long-term, 
and kind of having a plan and taking your time with it where I was forced. That is absolutely the best way to go. I was forced to not do that. Yeah. Like, 19 weeks, the last three year taper, I got 16 weeks to teach this kid how to squat with some weight on it. <laughs> so, and you know, with two or three mornings a week at six in the morning, I'm trying to teach a dozen kids how to squat who've never been in a weight room before. Well, I think it's a false narrative to think I'm going to save it for college. So it's like almost an all or nothing proposition, right? Like I'm either going to, I'm either going to do dry land and they're going to lift and they're going to get strong or I'm not going to do anything <laughs> and, and leave it all. And yeah, to kind of piggyback off of your point, I, I feel like that's one of the worst things because here's the two, two scenarios that are going to play out when they get to college. They're either going to have, and, and again, strength coaches and personal trainers throughout the land are very similar to swim coaches. That You're going to have some great ones, you're going to have some mediocre ones, and you're going to have some bad ones. Okay. So now you're rolling the dice is what kind of strength coach are you going to get? Swimming is not their number one priority. I hate to break it to you, right? Like, and especially at a smaller school, division three or division two, once, uh, a lot of times it's one strength coach in charge of the football team, in charge of every other sport. Oh yeah. And then they got to deal with the swimmers. Yeah. I had, we had one strength coach for every sport. And then at previously we didn't even have one. I was like, outsource it to you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you are week or two with you at Ritter and Charlotte. That was our strength coaching. Mm -hmm. We take that home with us and do it till we saw you the next year. <laughs> yeah. And so even, even if they're a great strength coach, just the time and, and bandwidth that one coach has to, to be able to do that, you're not going to, like you said, with that, you know, baby, you know, antelope or whatever, that's barely trying to, to walk and, and wobble around they're not going to have the time to go to your 12 freshmen and say, all right, guys, here's how we got to squat, right? They got to, you know, put some weight on the bar. They got to show something in improvement wise. And so, you know, I don't blame them. They got to go fast track it and it's not slow cooked. Whereas at least let's say if, okay, let's say you're of the thought, I really want to save the, the majority of lifting for college. Let's even put it that way. That yeah. means you still need to teach your athletes how to squat. Like you said, what's, what's the harm of doing a goblet squat with 25 pounds and being able to knock out 12 reps, you know, breaking parallel? Like that, that, that's not blowing anybody up and adding 20 pounds of muscle. <laughs> but do them a huge advantage when you're trying to get to body weight or even double body weight mm -hmm. on the road if they just came in knowing that. Yeah. And, and we haven't gotten to that part in the, the certification, how the, this first group of coaches are moving through it, but the next module is the assessment and testing. And that's where, you know, I've talked about this before in some of the lectures I've given, but what I'm saying is strong in the strength conditioning world really isn't that strong. Like I think one of the, the standards is, you know, one to one and a half times body weight for squat and deadlift. And in the strength conditioning world, that's like, what, like, what are you lifting? <laughs> You know, but I'm just saying, even if you just get to that, that's a really good level. But in the strength and conditioning world, they're, they're getting athletes four or five times that, not one, one and a half. Yeah. And so what I'm talking about is, guys, this, what I'm proposing isn't even that strong compared to if you were just talking to an elite strength coach that's worked with multiple sports across all levels. Yeah, I, I just had a buddy of mine in Michigan send me a video. He's been doing 
powerlifting conjugate. He's like 300 pounds now. He's a retired swimmer who's now a powerlifter. And he doesn't, he went from like 180 pounds to 300 pounds. But he just, he just hit like 950 on a back squat. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, and it's like, we're not asking for anything near that. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, breaking yeah. up 200 pounds seems heavy to a kid that's never done it. But we're just, yeah. No, absolutely. So as we wrap up this uh, segment here, Jason, I'm curious, what's your thoughts on percentage of dry land versus swimming as a coach? Looking back on it, you know, we talked about what you did, obviously, in that couple weeks of the winter trip. But overall, or what, what do you think now? Maybe you have different thoughts now being removed from coaching. I think it depends on the kid. Um, we, after that, have started. So we started what, as a college coach. We did doubles right from the first day of the season, but I always considered dry land a double. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I think sometimes in swimming terms, we think double means double pool. No, it was usually Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Thursday, and we experimented with two or three mornings a week. Mm. Um, but the mornings were dry land only, and the kids loved it. And I would never change that ever, even for the distance kids. Um, th- there's too much to gain from being – in the weight room, and if you don't have a weight room, strength training, um, as opposed to just being in the pool and kind of repeating the same cycle. Uh, for some kids, if they're really lacking, like the kids I talk about, like the baby antelope kids, they may benefit from doing it like 50-50. Mm-hmm. Mean or even I've experimented um, at one season where we didn't swim on Wednesdays. And we did dry land only Wednesdays hmm. and had great results that year. So if you have a kid that really, maybe we'll call it the baby antelope um, until we get an official term that really can't even squat to the box with the bar on it, yeah. you know, or, or can't do any kind of single leg, you know, they can't do an RDL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they can't keep their balance on one leg and do any kind of exercise. They may benefit from doing more dry land than swimming, you know? So I'd say on that training trip, 30% of our time, you know, a third of our time was in the weight room. Um, you know, we're probably in the weight room an hour in the morning in the pool, two hours in the afternoon. So I would give it at least that. And now during COVID, well, here's, here's the chance to see if you can get your kids to use it as an experiment. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have now till 2021, let's, really see how the dry land goes. And then whenever we can get back to competition, let's see how they do. And I bet a lot of people, if they do it right, are going to find the kids actually got better during this time. Yeah. I think some sacred cows are going to get knocked over here in the next year or so. As you start seeing, you know, dry land, it it has to be a priority in your program. Now, even if you're back in the water, I know a lot of coaches I've talked to, it's, it's a lot smaller time of window and they're running a lot more practices to get the smaller groups in and even just the other day on a study session, we had a, uh, one of the coaches was talking about how, you know, a lot of the kids that he was working with at home, uh, you know, via Zoom, they, they didn't have equipment. So he's just doing the body weight stuff, the mobility stuff that we had talked about in the webinars and then in the cert. And they're swimming some best times now in practice. You know? And he's like, hey, so it doesn't even take that much. Don't, don't fall for the fallacy of, okay, I need this huge weight room with all this equipment just start with the basics, you know, and, and that's what we're going to get into more as we have some more of these conversations. But Jason, anything else you want to add to this before we wrap it up? We're definitely going to have a part two to this. Um, 
No, we can talk about it in the next part. And uh, just glad to be here and glad to be a part of Ritter. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.